mouths and tongues to lift one cry. Then from north to south and east to west, we'd hear Christ be magnified.
I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name Into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living hope Who could imagine so great a mercy What heart could fathom Such boundless grace The God of ages Stepped down from glory To wear my sin And bear my shame The cross has spoken I am forgiven, the King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Jesus yours is the victory me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope jesus christ my living hope says, 
says, he must increase as I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. We must empty ourselves of ourselves. It's not about us. Life's not about our personal ambition or our good works. It should be about learning and worshiping and serving. Christ always emptied himself. And we too should practice emptying ourselves in our pantries and our closets. Our actions reflect our faith. From deeds done in humility and silence comes wisdom. And this wisdom draws us closer to him. Humility is the door to intimacy with Jesus. Christ is the ultimate example of humility. And we must become more like him. Christ must increase and we must decrease. we to give him everything.
Father, if the words of these worship songs could be turned into prayers, that would be the prayer we would be speaking today. I pray this morning that we're not able to sing those words easily or from memory because their songs are familiar with. But the God that we would truly mean, if more of you means less of me, then take all of who I am. God, we desperately need more of you. The best parts of who we are are only there because of who you are. Father, help us to see that this morning. Help us to see that there's not a single second of every day that we don't need to breathe you in and have you living inside of us, directing us and guiding us, loving us. Maybe some of us just need to thank you today for doing those very things, Lord. We live in relationship with you. Thank you that we can have a deep, abiding, knowing relationship with you. And as we come together this morning, Lord, we mean what we say. More of you, less of us. Take all of who we are. God, in the midst of the crazy weather outside, thank you that we can be in this place together to worship you this morning. Thank you that we're not standing alone, that Lord, we're in community, we're in family, we're in fellowship today. And as we lift our voices, we hear the voices of those around us. God, may we continue to hear from you today. Speak to us. Allow us to experience you in this place, in this time, in the fullness of what you want for us. In your name, we thank you and praise you. glad you are able to be here with us this morning. I wish I could say I'd like to try to keep it short for you today, but we, we all know that's not true. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll do the best we can to kind of get you home, and, and maybe if we stay long enough, the snow will quit, and it'll be even safer, but I won't go that quite that long either. But um, yeah, as I continue to immerse myself into this community and into to this church, uh, one of the things I've had, the people I've had the most time to spend with here has obviously been our pastoral staff, and uh, we've had a lot of great conversations over our first six, seven months together, real conversations. We don't just talk about uh, ministry stuff. We go a little bit deeper. We talk about family. Uh, we talk about their marriages. We talk about areas where uh, we, can, we can grow together. Uh, we talk about the present and the future together. And during those conversations, we get to know one another. We begin to recognize things in each other. And one of the things that we recognize, obviously, at times is when we're physically weary or when things just aren't going quite right at home, or when there's perhaps spiritual or mental or emotional weariness settling in. And we often know how to address the physical. We know how to take a nap. We know how to, to take a break once in a while. We know how to eat well to, to address the physical needs. But it's the spiritual, it's the emotional, it's the mental that's often neglected or ignored or even dismissed. recently read a book written by one of our general superintendents in Church of the Nazarene, Dr. David Busick, who writes that many of us recognize the need to respond to our physical weariness, but we do not realize the depletion in our lives that needs to be refilled. It's especially true in pastoral lives. But the Church of Nazarene has a mechanism in place that addresses depletion, and we call that mechanism sabbatical. Now, sabbatical, by definition, is an agricultural term. It, it's relating to giving land a time to replenish its nutrients. And Scripture gives us instructions to what that looks like. And you leave a, a parcel of property or land unplanted once every seven years so the land and the soil can rest. So that in the next year, it, continue, it can continue to be fruitful. It can continue to produce a harvest. Practically speaking, a sabbatical has come to pre represent a leave that's granted every seventh year in pastoral ministry. It's a time of rest, of, of research, or renewal, and of study, or even observation. 
in, in ways that are practical to one's ministry. Traditionally, it's a time used to maintain one's sharpness or focus in regards to their specific ministry area. And our church board recently approved such a time uh, for Amy and Chris Davis. They have been leading or been involved in leadership in our worship ministry for 12 years in this local church, which that in itself is no small feat. And what they do is so important. And what they pour into their ministry is significant. And we want to give them time to address their depletion. Uh, It's not about style, their time away. is not about pursuing the latest fads or wondering what other churches are doing, but rather to spend time with God and hoping to be refocused, to be resharpened, to be replenished, if you will, allowing God to allow them to be fruitful in the days ahead. So the next four weeks, they're going to be engaging in a time of spiritual rest, uh, a time of research and renewal, a time of study and observation. Um, Amy and I have talked uh, at length about what those that this time away will be and what it'll look like for her and for, for their family. And our hope is that they will refill the depletion. That's the goal. And we're going to continue to pray for them. And it's not to look at it as a negative thing. This is a great thing. It's a good thing. Because I, I, I've talked to them about it now. I understand if we're going to approve the sabbatical, then you are committed and you are here for the long haul. And as long as I'm here. So, <laughs> no, just kidding. And um, we've had some other conversations. Pastor Josh and I have begun some dialogue about that. Uh, he's also been here eight plus years of, of ministry to your local church. We're, we want them to continue to be healthy and effective. Uh, the days ahead of Marysville and the Marysville Church of Nazarene are good days. And so we want God to continue to help us to be prepared and to be who he wants us to be as individuals and as a team. So as you pray, and I know that you do, uh, as you pray for them over these next four weeks, pray that God would just be real and he would daily refill them. Because uh, much of the depletion we experience, and this is, a, this is a blessing and it's a gift, it's what we're called to, but much of our depletion is because of you. It's, it's all your fault. And, <laughs> and I say that in jest, but I say in all seriousness, we love you. We love what we do. You, you are why we do what we do. If it wasn't for you, we, we, wouldn't have a, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So you are important to us, and we want to continue to fulfill our, our needs and fulfill our callings that God has given and placed upon our lives to, to minister to you and to our community. So as you pray for them, I pray that God would just pour into them during this time away, and I look forward to seeing what that's going to look like and how we're going to benefit through, through their time of sabbatical in, in the months and years ahead. So I just wanted to pause for just a few moments. We're going to pray for them right now. Could we do that? And just that God would be with them. And they're, they're at a conference this week, a worship conference. So that worked out really well. And I'm just asking that God would just be with them and their family, in their marriage, and in their home with their children. Would you join me this morning? Father, we just want to take a few moments. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. You know us so well. You created us. And even in the creation, and it was good as, as you proclaimed yourself, you knew that in time the, the land would need rest. You know, in time, God, that we would need rest. We're instructed every week to take a Sabbath rest, to take a break, to take time away. And Lord, also in ministry, you you give us opportunities to take a break, to to be replenished. It's not a vacation. It's not a time of not doing anything. I I think the work that she'll be engaging over these next several weeks, she and Chris, will be perhaps even harder work than it would be for her to continue her responsibilities here. But it's necessary. It's time with you. It's a time, Lord, where we step aside from all of the distractions of life and perhaps hear you in a different way. We want to ask, God, that you would just speak clearly to Chris and Amy. That, God, you would give them, yes, physical rest, but also, Lord, that you would replenish. That you would, Lord, restore the nutrients of their soul. 
I know her heart, Lord, and, and, and as, as I work with them together, Lord, I know they want to see your kingdom grow. They want to see people uh, walk closer to you to become disciples. They want to see people, Father, uh, come into who you are in, in, in baptism and, and surrendering their lives to you and raising up their children, Lord, in a way that they too have a choice to, or a chance to choose. But God, we know you're real. We know you're there. Help them to recognize it. Help them to hear your voice. Help them, God, to be replenished. Because, Lord, I believe the harvest you have in store for them and for us, we're just beginning to realize. Lord, we look forward to seeing what that looks like in the days and years ahead. So, Lord, bless them in a special way this week. Keep them safe. Look forward to the time we, they come back to us. We want to experience and hear what it is you're doing in their lives even right now. Lord, be glorified in this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about resetting and this, this beginning of, the, of a new year is a great time for us to intentionally uh, pause and to, to reflect, if you will, and to consider where we are in our spiritual journey and maybe what God wants to do in, in our lives. And this time of reset, as we have come to know, is restoring oneself to their original purpose, uh, to their original design, getting back to being who we were created to be. And it's easy to get caught up in life and allow life to have its way with us. Uh, so once in a while, it's, it's good for us to practice and just kind of pause and stop and ask God, what is it that maybe is, is out of order, so to speak, that's not working the way that it should? And what, what are some things you want to do in our lives? We begin a conversation with asking God to reset our hearts. Where is it that our heart is? What, what, what does our faith look like? What are we doing in regards to our relationship with you? Are we taking the steps necessary to spend time with you, to grow closer to you? And once he's reset our hearts, and then the next thing he resets is, is our minds. A reset heart begins to think differently. And as we think differently, the thoughts that we allow into our minds change. God comes in, and he's able to uh, transform our thinking. And we, we follow more in line with who he is and what he wants us to think about. Of course, reset thinking then leads to reset voices. The words that we share, the words that we speak into others or even into our own lives are impacted and changed from a reset heart and a reset mind. Speaking blessings upon those that we encounter. Talking and raising them up instead of tearing others down. Now all of this, if you're following along, is, is, is progressive in its thought and in, as it's building up. So once we have a reset heart and a reset mind and a reset voice, the next thing that God naturally resets is our hands. Resetting our hands and and, and in the way that we use our hands and our feet, in the way that we, we use our lives, if you will, hands can represent our daily lives, to have an impact for him and his kingdom on a daily basis. So I hope that you see this progression, how this conversation applies to each of our lives individually and also corporately as a church. Our hearts impact our thoughts. Our thoughts then control the words we speak. His word is something we're instructed to dwell on and to dig into. And as we do, his word guides us in our resetting. Our faith informs what we think about. What we think about informs and it controls what comes out of our mouths. And this morning, the next step in our progression is recognizing that our words inform our actions. Things that we do. When we talk about resetting our hands, we're talking about doing. We're talking about going. We're talking about where it is that we spend our time and how we spend our time. When we allow God to speak through us, when we speak hope, when we speak joy unspeakable, when we talk about grace and peace that comes only through Jesus Christ, then we begin to enter into spiritual conversations. Conversations and in time 
reveal real needs. Needs in our own lives, needs in the lives next to us, needs in the lives of our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our classmates. Real needs. What do we do when those needs are presented to us? So thankful for, uh, I'm going to put her on the spot, but I'm thankful for Allie's heart. You, you got to see a need. She responded to a need. Brought that need to you, and you responded in kind. That's putting our faith in action. That's what a reset life looks like. Seeing something in front of us and then doing something about it. And when we're reset, what happens is when those needs become real, we're compelled to do something about it. We can't help it. It's like we just can't control ourselves. We, we have to engage. And it's moments like this that we become the very hands and feet of Jesus. In Scripture, there's an account in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read this morning. It's also found in Mark chapter 2. Uh, but in Luke chapter 5, and verse 17 through 26, we read this story about a man who was, was paralyzed. And, and Jesus is traveling. He's doing some teaching. And he's in the town of Capernaum. And as... Jesus was, was known to do, a crowd tends to follow him wherever he's at. And on this particular day, the, he was at a house teaching, and the, the crowd was there, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, even, even normal villagers like you and me were showing up, and they were sitting there listening to the teachings of Jesus. Scripture tells us that Jesus was, was speaking, preaching, speaking very powerfully. He was able to heal the sick. And there's a lot going on in this home, and, and there were some men in the village that, that had come to know who Jesus was. They had heard about the things that he was able to do, and, and they, they were just inspired and because they had a need in their life, and they wanted to do something about it. Verse 18, we read, some men came, carrying a paralytic on a mat, tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. These friends, these, these four friends had another friend who was, who was paralyzed. He couldn't travel to where Jesus was, and they, they had this friend with this incredible need, and they were just compelled to do something about it. This is one of those patches in Scripture, Luke chapter 5. Uh, there, there's, a, there's several of these in, in my own ministry and time that I will reference quite often because the, the learnings from it are so profound and then there's so many different things that we can take out of. This is one of those. You will hear this passage again in, in my time with you, how long that might be. Uh, but here's some men. They show up and they, they realize we've got to take our friend to Jesus. Jesus is the only hope he has. Jesus is the only one who can help in this situation. See, they had their minds had been, their hearts had been reset. They, they, they were attracted to this man, Jesus. And what they'd heard and seen and witnessed about him was profound. It had changed their thoughts. And then while they'd spoken to their friend, I'm sure, about this man, Jesus, there was, the, the words weren't really powerful enough. They needed to do something about it. So they pick him up. Let's take him to Jesus. And they, these four friends carry him. And we, we see the imagery of, of this man on a mat, each one grabbing a corner, and they're, they're carrying their friend to Jesus. And they get to the house where Jesus is at. Verse 19 tells us when they could not find a way because of the crowd. Now, so many of us, we're compelled to act, and, and we want to do something. And we, we, we know that there's a need, and we, 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 with good intentions, Start out to meet the need. And we, we get to where the, the rubber meets the road and there's a crowd in the way. And we have a decision to make. Do we give up? Do we wait? Do we just go home? What do we do? And, and I, I, I can be honest, I'm not sure that I would have done what these four friends did. Because what they do is a little bit out of the ordinary. What they do takes a little bit of gumption. 
friends, go to the roof of the house, Scripture tells us. <laughs> In just one simple verse, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went to the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles. Now, there's a lot in that one simple verse, verse 19. They had to climb the steps with their friend. They get to the top, and what they find in this day is most of the roofs of the homes were, were flat because it was actually used as an additional living area. So there would have been steps up to the roof. It would have been kind of an outdoor patio type thing they would use for a different extra living space. They get to the top, and there's, they still can't see. So the only way to get their friend to Jesus from the roof is to cut a hole. And they start to dig and claw and, and pick away. And can you just imagine being in the crowd, Jesus is teaching, and you hear the scratching up above them? wonder, what, what's going on? And then the dust starts to fall a little bit. Then the first ray of light kind of breaks through. Like, what are those people doing? Don't they realize what's going on here? And the answer to that question is, yes, of course they realized what was going on here. That was the point. So they had a hole, not just a hole that you could look through, but a hole big enough to lower a man through. And all the while, I can just see Jesus. He just keeps right on going. Like a baby crying, he honest doesn't bother him. He just keeps on going. But inside, he's smiling because he knows what's about to come. He knows that no matter what it is he's saying, and the scripture doesn't tell us what it is he's teaching or saying in this moment, the lesson that people are going to learn is going to be pretty profound in just a few moments. A paralyzed man is lowered in front of Jesus. Right in the middle of the crowd. They, they had spaced it out perfectly. Scripture tells us that uh, the paralyzed man was lowered right in front of Jesus. In verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. It's a powerful verse. The, the, this verse speaks of grace. The, this verse speaks of, of a reset life and the, the, the extent that it will go to to help another one come to Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, he looked at the man who was paralyzed and tells him, your sins are forgiven. Now that's a pretty interesting statement in this moment. So interesting that it gets the Pharisees' attention. And the teachers of the law, they begin thinking to themselves, they begin mumbling, they're looking for a way to trap him anyway. They're not there because they're interested in what he has to say. They're interested in finding ways to overcome him and to discredit him. They said to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins? but God alone, which they're, they're right. They just haven't quite connected the dots yet of who Jesus is. Verse 21, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately he stood up in front of the crowd took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we've seen a remarkable thing today. I can't help but think that even the Pharisees in that moment were left speechless. But let's not miss what's happening. See, there's forgiveness offered before the healing. And what Jesus is speaking of in this moment is something much deeper. When we become the hands and feet of Jesus, and when we intercede and we try to meet a need, grace goes before us. Provenient grace. We won't get into that too deeply this morning. But provenient grace was at work in this man's life. See, it's the grace of God that moves us, that compels us. It's the grace of God in, in the lives of the four friends that, that had to get hit the paralytic man before Jesus. That didn't stop because the room was full or there was a roof in the way. 
They knew what their friend needed. And they stopped at nothing to get him there. Grace was at work in his life even before he realized it. And too often when we're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, we don't recognize this. We might see a job that needs done or a task that needs fulfilled, but we don't see the grace of God at work. And so often there's so many opportunities missed because we feel like, well, that's not for us to do. Well, that's too difficult. Well, that's a little bit inconvenient. We'll talk a little bit more than just, just a moment. But how many of us be willing to dig a hole through the roof? How many of us will be compelled to stop at nothing? Help the hands and feet of Jesus. This broken, desperate man had some friends who didn't quit. The best thing, though, about these friends, not that they were strong enough to carry him, but was that they knew Jesus. They knew that Jesus was the only answer for him. They saw a need, and they responded. They pushed past all of their fears, their insecurities. Bear with me. They're, they're, they didn't want to conform to culture. They, they know what everyone would be kind of rude to dig through someone's roof. I think that's kind of common knowledge, right? That probably didn't happen very often. But they stopped at nothing. When's the last time you were compelled to stop at nothing? Do what it is that God put before you or he's called you to do. They wanted to get their friend the help he needed. When you frame this story in the context of resetting our lives, of resetting our hands, this is a pretty compelling account. But it helps us understand that service isn't just about fulfilling a task. It's part of it at times. But most often at the heart of service is responding to the needs that are presented to us in response to the grace that God has poured into our lives. It, it's the, we just can't help it. That's what grace does. Too often we, we love the idea of grace, of forgiveness, of salvation, of being made new, of God fixing our brokenness. But if we stop there, we, we miss something so important. When we absorb real grace, when we accept the, the, the life-giving, forgiving blood of Jesus Christ, that changes us. And, and not only does he cleanse us, which he certainly does, Scripture tells us, but then he, he just moves us. We, we just can't stay still. And if you have received forgiveness and you're just staying still and you just absorb it for yourself, then you've missed something. Something critical. Something important. It's to become a child of God, then it's to become like him. Become like him is to do the things that he does. It's to see people the way that he sees them. And to stop for anything less becomes selfish. Perhaps you've had people in your life that you've recognized this type of grace. This type of moving of God in their lives where, where they have found salvation and, and they are just on fire and they just can't be stopped. What area of life that might look like. We could talk a lot about that. There's examples in, in this room today. Uh, those have been called to, to foster, to be a foster parent. That, that's, that's hard. It's not easy to do. But when you're called to do it, you, you do it. And there's answers to, there's questions that you just don't have answers to. Well, how do you do this? We don't know. What happens when the kids go back home? You cry and you grieve and you move on. You, you allow God to help you in those moments. What about when things don't go right or when you have to deal with trauma? Yeah, it hurts. It's hard. You don't have answers. You get angry? Yes. But you love in the midst of all that. And God just compelled you. It's, a, it's something you have to do, and God's called you to do it. And once you've had a taste of it, you begin to realize, I'm not going to get all the answers I want in this. 
Sometimes things aren't going to turn out the way that I want them to, but I'm going to do it anyway because I have to. What's the have to in your life? We have those in our church that have been involved or are involved currently in jail ministry. That's a calling. There's a need for, for that. Uh, similarly, there's recovery ministries, opportunities. There will be some opportunities we talk about in that area of, of uh, people's lives. We'll talk about here in the coming months of, of some possible um, ministry that God's perhaps leading us to. That's dirty. That, that's, that, those are broken lives. And to be led into those situations, into those circumstances, into such lives, it's not easy. But when you're compelled, when you're called, when, when, when grace goes before you, you, you have to. Our church has a heart for meeting the needs of those who are hungry. I'm so glad for that. We can't even begin to count the number of people that have been fed through blessings in a backpack and through our blessing box in the back street, which, by the way, just last week, someone caught me in the parking lot and thanked our church for providing that for our community. It's often unseen. Maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but on this back street behind us, we have a box with food in it non-perishables that you can restock. You can just buy stuff, bring it, put it in the box. And if people have need, they drive by the box, they stop, and they take what they need as much as they want. There's no application, no credit card, no, no approval needed. You just grab what you want. If you're hungry today and you need food, go to the blessing box. It's there for you. We're meeting needs. We're responding, doing what it is that God is compelling us to do. We can't help it. That's what grace does. See, there's something profoundly different when you see someone simply helping versus serving. See, the, the, the idea of being reset goes beyond just, just helping someone into this idea of serving someone. See, in service, we see this holy determination at work within us. We see God at work within us. Anyone can help. But it takes God and the Holy Spirit working in us to be a servant. When you get it, you get it. When you see it, you recognize it. And I hope that perhaps when you see it, you recognize it, then you begin to want more of it for yourself. I can't help but wonder how many other people have, wow, I wish I had what those four friends had. I wish I had the boldness that they just exhibited. These four friends in Luke chapter 5, they knew it. Nothing was going to help their friend out of the predicament that he was in except this living, loving Jesus. This is why our actions in Jesus' name matter. This is why the things that we do in the name of Jesus matter. And if it's not led with love, it's not precluded by grace, then it's often done for the wrong reasons, wrong motivation. Because Jesus alone is the answer for the problems plaguing the people we encounter every day. We sang earlier, we have a world that's dying to meet him. Literally, dying. They need to meet him. How do they meet him? Through our reset hearts, through our reset thinking, through our reset voices, and through our reset acts of service being the hands and feet of Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What's this look like? Or maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know when and where to jump in? Or, or there's so many people in need, Pastor. How do I know which ones I'm supposed to help? And the reality is, we're not called to do everything. We recognize that. But we're all are called to do something. How do we know the what? Or how do we know which one? Or what is our help supposed to entail? Or how much are we supposed to give? Or how much time are we to invest? Or which person's roof are we supposed to poke a hole into? And I don't really mean that literally, but uh, you go with me here figuratively. What am I supposed to do, God? How do we know? 
<laughs> Aren't you glad God is faithful? Aren't you glad he keeps his promises? See, Paul's here to help us with this. And in Galatians chapter 5, we begin to see in Galatians 5 how our faith works itself out in, in our daily lives. What actions and behaviors naturally flow from the one who's had a reset heart, whose faith has been reset and trust in Jesus Christ. And God's word is so true in every aspect of where we might be in our spiritual journey. He provides the answers. The reason we can't find the answers is because we don't spend time in his word. Thank you. I got one out of that. So many of us have questions and they're right here. You come to pastors, well, pastor, can you answer this? I can't, I, I could answer it for you, but you need to find your own answer, and it's in here. Spend time in here. You'll be surprised at what God might show you. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, Paul, Paul begins to uh, close out his letter to the Galatians, and he, he writes in verse 1 of chapter 5. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to start in verse 1. I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, be imitators of God. That's a pretty good answer. Wondering what to do? Be imitators of God. Let me jump to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You were saved to be free. You were given spiritual freedom. And then Paul writes, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Those are some big words. Basically what Paul is saying is do not use your spiritual freedom to meet your own needs. Paul's saying don't be selfish. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Be imitators of God in chapter 5, verse 1. What does this look like? Serving one another humbly in love. For the entire law, Paul writes, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we often stop there. But the very next sentence describes the world in which we live. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. That is the world in which we live. You have a choice. We either are biting and devouring each other and we become a part of the destruction that our world is going through every day or we love our neighbors as ourselves. It really is simple. And even in saying and reading those verses, there's probably some things that God has led or spoken into your life or has reminded you of in that moment that perhaps needs to change. There's your hole in the roof. That's what he's compelling and calling you to do. The service, serving one another humbly in love, that's our response to grace. Our response to true spiritual freedom is that we are just compelled and moved to care about others. We, we, we put ourselves in the background. We're not as concerned about our own needs, even though those are perhaps real. And we become zeroed in and focused on the needs of those around us. Paul reminds us that we're called to be free. He gives us the blood of Jesus and the grace of God to be made free. But then very quickly he adds, but your freedom is not for yourself alone. It's also for those who are still bound up, those who are still held captive. We are freed to love. We're freed to serve. We're freed to give. We're freed to care. To use our freedom for anything else very quickly takes away that very freedom in which we that God sets us free, and we turn around and start engaging in things that put us, us back in chains. How do we know if we're being self 
indulgent, as Paul writes. How do we know if we're indulging the flesh? Well, I'm glad you asked. So if you keep reading in Galatians chapter 5, and I don't have these verses in front of you, verses 16 through 21, right after these instructions he's just given us, Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. If you walk by the Spirit, you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. What moves in the opposite direction as the Spirit. The flesh desires what the Spirit doesn't desire, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with one another, Paul writes to us, so that you are not to do what it is that you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, then we do what the Spirit wants. Makes sense. Becoming imitators of God is much easier when we live life this way. Now, the acts of the flesh are, well, they're obvious. And I'm so glad God spells them out for us. Sort of. Maybe. Or maybe I'm not. Scripture tells us that the acts of the flesh are sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Those are big, scary, dirty, ugly words. Idolatry. Beginning next week, we're going to spend five weeks talking about idolatry. I believe it's the biggest hurdle in Scripture and in our culture today, keeping us from being followers of Christ. But we'll save that for next week. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what Scripture tells us are acts of the flesh. I warn you, Paul writes, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ugh, what a list. And here's how most of us approach a list like that. Let's look and compare. Hmm. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery. I'm pretty good there. Idolatry and witchcraft. Oh, goodness, no, not me. (laughs) Hatred and discord. No. Well, unless others stir it up first, you know. Jealousy. No, not me. Until I get on social media and see other people's perfect lives. Which, let's be honest, aren't so perfect. Fits of rage, dissensions, factions, envy. I don't think so. You might even know what factions mean, so I don't Maybe you do. Drunkenness and orgies and the like. <laughs> Most of us are too tired for that nonsense. <laughs> we convince ourselves that we're doing pretty good. That, that I'm, I'm not a slave to these acts of the flesh. But there's one in there that tends to trip us up. One in there that tends to get us. And old Satan, he's crafty. A selfish ambition tends to get in our way. The desire to have things my way. What does that look like when it comes to loving our neighbors? Serving one another humbly in love. Well, it's often inconvenient. (laughs) Helping someone might disrupt your schedule or your calendar, or you might miss the ball game that you want to watch, or you might be able to go, not be able to do what it is you want to do with your family, or you have have to drive all the way across town. That's really kind of inconvenient sometimes. Actually, all the time. You know, the four friends, they dug a hole in the roof. We know that in Scripture, but someone had to fix the hole. It was an inconvenience. Someone had to be bothered 
by the, what was going on. But they did it anyway. I like to think that the four friends showed up and fixed the hole, but we don't know for sure. Selfish ambition, selfishly, we want to be comfortable. Not am I going to be inconvenienced, but am I, am I going to be physically disrupted? It's going to wear me out. Am I going to get tired? I'm going to shovel my neighbor's snow? My back hurts from doing my own. It's so cold out, God. You, you want me to help someone move furniture today? It's freezing outside. And furniture's heavy. And they got a little truck. We've got to take more than one trip. But now I've got convenience and comfort all in one. Then there's cost. You know, to help someone with a need of provision or with heat or with clothes might cost us something. It's easy to meet those kind of needs when you can just give your leftovers, the things you don't wear anymore, things that are out of style, things that don't fit. What if it really costs you something? Here's one. Fear of what people will think. If they learn what it is I really do or how much I really care, what will they think of me? What kind of questions are they going to ask me? Am I really ready to give an account for why I do what I do? Why I spend the money on what I spend it on? Why I don't spend it on what I don't spend it on? What do people think? Or perhaps in your mind you're thinking, well, I'm an introvert. I'm not really a people person. I don't like to talk out loud. I get that. Or people, pastor, they're just messy. Or they're just weird. Or they're just wrong. Yeah. So were we at one point in time. Perhaps the old fallback, well, I'm sure someone else will do it if I don't. Maybe. But I wonder... What blessings have been lost because we've been slow to love our neighbors humbly. That's not to discount all of the good that you do. So we just shared some of those wonderful things that our church is engaged in and there are opportunities and there are needs being met. And I know some of you are involved in, in driving people to the doctor and going, taking them grocery shopping. And I know that we are being inconvenienced and we're helping meet needs and we're doing that not because you get anything out of it because God's led you to do that. I know that's already happening. But I can't also help believe there's capacity for more. We live in a community that needs to hear what it is that we've discovered. And I also know that not everything is for us to do, and there are times when God wants us to say no. It's not for us to engage in. It's not, we're not gifted to do that. Talk about a few opportunities we have in our church right now that some of you, you're just not gifted for. That can be your route. That's okay. But it leads us to the question, how are we to love then? How do we make sense of it all? And the short answer is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul gives us the answer, as you love yourself. As you would want others to love you. This is what you're to do. Love your neighbor with the same idea and the same hope of provision that you have for your own life. That the same idea that the, 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 the way that you want needs met in your own life, do the same for others. Even in the midst of your need, God might give you an opportunity to meet the needs of someone else. Too often we, we miss out on a miracle because we can't see God at work in our lives at the same time as he's using us to bless someone else. It can be complicated. I get it. 
can be hard. Could be. But when we find ourselves in the midst of it, imagine the four friends. All they'd went through, the hole that they'd dug, the mess that they'd made. Imagine what they felt like when Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, been healed. It was all in that moment worth it. There was still debris to be cleaned up. There was still work to be done. But in that moment, they saw the answer, and it was worth it. And many of you have seen the answers to your acts of service in the moment. Let's be clear, not all acts of service are going to lead people to seats in our church, and that's okay. That's not why we do it. We do it because we respond to the grace that God has given to us. We do for them as God has done for us. We love well, we serve well. When we let God's Spirit flow in us, we go as the Spirit leads us. I'll begin to wrap this up. Let me think of, thank goodness. Keep reading Galatians chapter 5. What a beautiful chapter this is. Go home today and read all of Galatians chapter 5. He gets to verses 22 through 26. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, if we're to be led by the Spirit, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, when we were in children's ministry, my wife and I, for a years, we learned this great song that helps us remember this. It's um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can remember all seven of those. Here's the thing about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to dig too deeply into this today. But in the Greek, the word fruit is singular. Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I've got love, and I've got joy, and I've got kindness and goodness. I'm not so good at the self-control part. I'll just leave that out. Uh, Faithfulness, eh, sometimes. That's not how it works. The fruit of the Spirit is singular, meaning to have all of them, you either have all eight or you have none. When I learned that, it takes away our excuse. It, it, it takes away our, our, our justifying, rationalizing with God. But here's the thing. It's through the Spirit. It, it's God's job to put those things in my life. When I follow after him, he does all that. Do I have self-control on my own? No. That's a whole message on sanctification, but we're not going to get into that this morning. Am, am I kind on my own? Yeah, maybe sometimes. Am I good on my own? Absolutely not. Am I faithful on my own? No, I need him. Do I, can I love the way he wants me to love on my own? No. Do I have joy without the Spirit? Of, no, joy comes from grace and the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit come from him. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, have given up their selfish, fleshly indulgences, its passions and desires, Paul writes. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Walk with God. Go back really quick, Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Before he began his ministry, he was Spirit-sourced, Spirit-filled. Kind of hard to think about in the context of Trinity, but even Jesus models for us how we are to live the life God's called us to live. Spirit-sourced. No longer sourced by our own power, our own strength, our own abilities. We are God-sourced. That's how we serve. That's how we love That's when we find peace. That's when we're kind. That's when we're good. That's why we're able to be faithful. Only when we keep in step with the Spirit. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. The whole idea of service, it's either we serve ourselves or we serve Him. Jesus says, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Who do you serve? 
here we see the circle completed. Often we talk about resetting. The image that pops into our minds is our computers that are locked up. You got that little blue spinning wheel of death which just spins and spins and spins and just won't fix itself. But here we have a spinning wheel of life. Because what happens when we have a reset heart is we reset our thinking. And in our reset thinking, we reset our voices. And reset voices open up conversation. We recognize needs where we become the reset hands of Jesus. And reset hands of Jesus help us to continue to have a reset heart. And the cycle helps us to stay in step with the Spirit. The spinning wheel of life is a beautiful thing. James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, dead. Well, some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. James writes, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. Show me, James says. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. It's not anything that we do that we could earn or deserve it. Not by works so that no one can boast, Paul writes. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When we are the hands of Jesus, he puts us in places that are often uncomfortable, inconvenient, and might cost us. But he does so much more than we could possibly do on our own when we just let him work in our lives. When we just follow and do what he's compelling us to do. When we just say yes. Someday that spinning wheel in each of our lives, it'll stop spinning. But I pray, and when it stops spinning, that means, well, death is coming. My hope and prayer is that when it stops spinning, it's, it's our real death, and not just our spiritual death. But one of the two is going to happen. And Jesus is going to look at us, and hopefully a reset life, you will hear the words, well done. You may not have understood how you got in there, but I pray that when you do, those are the words you hear. Now, practically, what's that look like in the life of our church? We have some needs. Aren't you glad I was building up for this? We have some needs, and there's some opportunities for you to serve, not, not just to help, but to serve. Uh, we, we have Mara's upstairs working with our children, and I so appreciate all she does for our children. But on, on the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of each month, which that includes today, um, we need help in our nurseries and our preschools. If you haven't been paying attention, God's been blessing us with lots of babies. Isn't that awesome? I got to hold Della a little bit before service, not very long, just a little bit. And if you love to hold babies, that's service service. It's not just babysitting. Quick, don't look at it like that. You're serving. And we need help in, in our preschool. There's some opportunities for you to help in preschool. Our, our preschoolers need to hear about Jesus from someone who loves him. And, and it's not just about checking off a box, but it's about responding to the Holy Spirit and, and his prompting. We, we had a friend at our, at our church in West Virginia. Her name was Cora. Cora is 95 plus years old. I lost track. She's so high up there. And I'm not exact. This is, this is true. True story. When we first went to Weirton, my son Eli was five years old. His first Sunday school teacher in Weirton was, was Miss Cora. She would have been 85 years old at the time. He has a Bible that, that she, he, she buys for all of her students, has his name on it, from Miss Cora. Here's the beautiful thing about Miss Cora. I had a senior adult pastor when I was at Weirton. His name was Pastor Larry. Larry's the same age as my father. He's 71 years old. Miss Cora was Larry's Sunday school teacher when he was five years old. Do the math. She'd been doing it for over 60 years. That's service. Some of you are thinking, oh, please, God, don't call me to that. 
I get it. She saw a need. And, and I, you ask her why, she couldn't help it. She was compelled. There were days where it was hard for her to get to church, as you might imagine. But she came, and she loved, and she poured into these children. And she was a little old school, as you might imagine. She was old. But everybody who had Miss Cora left knowing that she loved them. Her methods might be different, but she loved them. Her love for them came out of her love for God. And I am so glad I've had Cora's in my life. I can tell you all of my teachers growing up through, through school. I had um, Francis Twyman, who was my kindergarten teacher. And I remember uh, Gail Martin was my primary teacher. Or Margaret Sloan and Catherine Creasy taught me when I was a middler and, and junior. Uh, I remember Jean Elsie and Pat Elsie climbing the stairs to, to my class. Even when the stairs hurt Pat's legs, she'd climb up every week to teach me as a teenager. I remember Jeff Hott uh, playing basketball and helping me grow in a time when I was the only teen in my church. He would show up and be my teacher. The people in my life that would invest, they weren't just checking off a box. They were compelled by grace to pour into someone else. Those are just simple, practical needs. We, you understand what those look like. We have meal ministry opportunities next time you're shopping. We're not in such a hurry to get out of the Kroger's or out of the grocery store or out of Walmart or wherever you do your shopping. Maybe God will lay something on your heart to meet a need for someone who's hungry. This Tuesday, we have a single parent ministry we're meeting um, to, to, to cook meals for single mothers. If you're you know, a single father and needs help with that, we'd gladly help with that as well. And Emily do a wonderful job opening up their home, letting people come in and to cook. That's not, here's the beautiful part. You make these meals together, but I think the most valuable time is the time spent together, serving one another together. We have needs in our tech ministry. Now, I know some of you, you're so, that counts me out. If you know what a spinning wheel of death is, yes, it does count you out because we want people who understand what it is that they're doing and they don't want to push, don't just push any button. You got to push the right button. So there's going to be areas of ministry that you're not qualified for, and that's okay. God's not going to call you to that. If it just sounds cool and you think you might, don't do that because you like how it might sound or how it might look. Do it because you're compelled to. We have those responding to our, our young adults, our college age ministry right now. I'm so thankful for that. Uh, those ministering to our teens. I asked Josh, how are, how do you, what are your needs for your teens? You know what? God's given me a lot of great small group leaders. We're in pretty good shape right now. Praise the Lord. Thank you for those that invest in our young people, in our old people, and everybody in between. It's necessary, it's needed, so that we can become equipped to then be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's this heart of outreach that's at work, kind of underneath the surface in our church, and it's going to be leading to some more opportunities in the days ahead that I'm very excited about, opportunities that are really going to stretch us, opportunities that might make us a little bit uncomfortable. Those are the ones I get the most excited about, because we can't do those on our own. I love the doors that God opens that we can only walk through because he's leading us through them. Not by our strength, but by his. And I want to, I look forward to, and I don't know what this will look like, but church, I'm praying about the holes that God wants us to cut in the roofs. And we not be afraid when that time comes. And I've gone too long, I'm sorry, get me going, this is something I'm excited and passionate about. But if you've heard something today or maybe a need you want to respond to, if you, maybe God's prompting you right now to, to serve our, our new mothers and fathers, help with our kids. Talk to Mara today. Or you want to help with our meal ministry, you're not sure what that need might be, talk to Stephanie today. We'll, we'll put you in the right direction. Or, or 
whatever your, your heart might be telling you, come talk to me or Pastor Josh. We will point you in the right direction. We'll get you started. But don't ignore what God might be prompting you to do. Don't ignore it. Just what Satan wants. Someone's waiting to be blessed with what he's compelling you to do right now. Would you stand with me? This faith that we have, that, that, that this freedom that we find in Christ is not for ourselves so that we could make a difference in the lives of others, so we could help others come to know who he is. Leave with that today. Is it just you? When you look through your world, is it just you or is it others? You know the answer to that question already. How will God have you respond? Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. It's really not that complex when we push aside the distractions or the things that we think are important in our lives and just give you a few moments, a little bit of room to speak, to work. You're still calling people today. There's still friends that we have that need to be dropped in front of Jesus. There's still those that are lost and broken that need hope that we can offer them. It begins with our hearts reset relationship with you. As we get to know you and spend time with you, Lord, it changes how we think. The things that we think about, things that consume us or occupy our minds, Lord, those things change. And as those things change, Lord, the words that we share change. Help us not to be critical or to complain. Help us, Lord, to speak truth, speak blessing. Or sometimes, God, to be slow to speak quick to listen. God, when we speak words of hope, we speak words of life, help us to follow up those words with action. Help us to be compelled by your grace to do things we could never do on our own, things we probably wouldn't even want to do on our own, for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your words today. May it change us. Help us to recognize we've been in your presence. We've heard your voice. Maybe you've prompted, maybe you're still prompting, pushing and pulling us in a direction. Pray, Lord, we wouldn't shy away from that. God, I look forward to the stories we're going to hear as we, your people, through reset lives, go out and serve others humbly love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Please be safe as you go home today. God bless you. Have a great week.